Are you ready for Christmas? Two days, the shopping is done, the sights, the sounds of Christmas are everywhere. I, I feel like I started seeing decorations July 5th this year, right after the 4th, right? Every store you go in, what do we have? Christmas carols. Now, did you know that Christmas music can actually be detrimental to your health? Uh, you're like, amen. No, uh, some of you Grinches out there, you know who you are. Like, I knew it all along. But it's true. In fact, uh, for people who work at stores that are, are playing Christmas music, it can be uh, come irritating. In fact, a uh, clinical psychologist, Linda Blair, says that Christmas music can be mentally draining. She said that people that work in shops uh, where, that have Christmas music, um, what does she say? They have to tune it out. It really does stop you from being able to focus on anything else. You simply spend all of your energy trying not to hear what you're hearing. It's distracting. It can also cause distress. It's Christmas music. At first, you know, at maybe like right around Thanksgiving, the first time you hear Christmas music, it's a bit of nostalgia, some memories of things when you're old. But by the time you hear jingle bells, for the millionth time, like it has the opposite uh, effect on us. And in fact, researchers say that Hearing Christmas music over and over can lead to annoyance, boredom, and even distress. Uh, and, if, and if you're worried about work and money and family, every time you hear one of those songs, it reminds you of those things and causes more stress. <sighs> Who knew, right? You're like, I knew. Christmas can be complicated, and uh, it can be complicated in our, our own lives, um, and it's just one more, I mean, just Christmas music is one more complicating factor. I mean, the bigger your family, the more complicated. The more kids you have, the more complicated. If someone's divorced, that's complicated. People bring in people to your house that you don't like, that's complicated, right? Uh, it can be extra complicated for men that are maybe married or in a relationship. Because if, if the man has ever asked the woman, like, what do you want for Christmas? And the lady has replied, I don't need anything. I don't want anything. No, but what do, you, what do you want for Christmas? I'm good. I'm really good this year. I know we don't really need anything. But in the words of Jesus, woe, that's where the words of Jesus stop. Woe to the man who wakes up Christmas morning believing that lie. Right? That is a complicated Christmas. Uh, now, where you're going to spend Christmas or what, part, what side of the family, that can be complicating. Right? Uh, last year you were with your family, now you got to be with your significant other's family, and like people get upset about these things. And, um, and then if, if someone's divorced, it's, this, it's just not uh, you know, his parents, but it's his mom and the new boyfriend and his, uh, his dad and his wife. And then on the other side, your parents have been married forever, so they don't even like each other anymore. Like it's not that that's what happens when you've been married forever, all right? Uh, complicated, right? <laughs> Like, who are we going to be with Christmas Eve and Christmas Day? And I don't have a remedy for uncomplicating Christmas for you. I don't have a remedy for uncomplicating your Christmas schedule. But I do want to talk about how the story of Christmas, the message of Christmas, is not complicated. It is very simple, yet very profound. And in the Gospel of Luke, we'll be looking for in just a moment, chapter 2. We've looked there the last few weeks. Uh, but Luke, there's two places in the Bible where you can find the, the birth narrative, the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. And in the Gospel of Luke, 
uh, the angels have just appeared to the shepherds in the field. The glory of the Lord shines on them, and the angel says to them in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. It should be on the screen here as well. It says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Good news. That's where we get the word gospel from. And it's for all people. It wasn't just for the shepherds. It wasn't just for the Jewish shepherds. It wasn't just for the Romans. It wasn't just for 2,000 years ago. It's for all people. This good news is for all. And, and if there is anything about the message of Christianity that does not strike you as good news, if there's anything about the message of Christianity that does not strike you as good news, perhaps someone has distorted the message of Christianity for you. If there's anything about the church in your past or in your history that doesn't strike you as good news, then perhaps someone has presented a poor imitation of what the church is supposed to be about. It is about this good news. Amen? Amen. Smile if you believe. That's good news. All right. Um, so if, if it is good news, then the good news cannot possibly be straightened up. The good news is not uh, straightened up. I bring you great joy. Of good news. Well, what's that good news? Straighten up. Do better. Work harder. Try harder. Stop, stop, stop. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Like that is not good news. That is, that is not even new news. That is old news because every religious system tells you to do that, tells you to straighten up. Every religious system tells you to stop doing things. Every religious system says there are going to be consequences and penalties, and that is not good news. It's just not good news. And so how is this good news, the story of Christmas? And in order to, to prove to you that this is good news, I want to jump to another verse of Scripture. It's, it's one that you may have heard if you've been uh, to a football game. It's often posted on banners. And uh, if you grew up in church, you may have heard this verse, John 3.16. John 3.16. So John was written by John. All right, it's not that hard to know who wrote uh, the book of John. But John was one of the best friends of Jesus. He was Jesus' disciples. And in fact, he was such a close friend of Jesus that when Jesus was dying on the cross, he looked down and he saw John, who was there. And he saw, Jesus saw his, his mother, Mary. And he looked at John and said, John, would you take care of mom for me? And from that day forward, Mary, John took care of Mary. So this was not just like a, a casual relationship. This was a uh, a very deep friendship that they had. And, and John, in John chapter 3, is telling the story of Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and Jesus is trying to talk to him about being born again. And, the, and Nicodemus was having a hard time understanding it. Like, how, how can someone be born again once they're already born? And so there's a back and forth in the Gospel of John. Jesus says this. Nicodemus says this. Jesus says this. And as John's writing, it, there's no quotation marks in, in Greek. Like in the Greek language, they didn't, they didn't use quotation marks, so it's kind of hard to know exactly when Jesus stops talking. But at some point, John gets so excited about this that he just stops the story and, and comes in with John 3.16. He is so excited. Um, and whether you believe what John says or not, I want you to know this good news. I mean, you may have decided not to become a Christian because of a church experience, or uh, because you know some Christians, right? Because you worked for a Christian, 
because you were married to a Christian. And the last thing you want to do is be identified as a Christian. All right? And if I had had your experiences, I'd probably feel the same way that you do. But let's set all that aside for a moment and talk about what is this good news of Jesus Christ. And, and John says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave. Now, the, the world represents all of humanity. God's love, it embraces all people. His love is not confined to any national group or spiritual elite, nor is it reserved just for those who believe. If you say, I don't, I don't believe this story, Matthew, that's all right. God loves you. In fact, throughout the Gospel of John, in other places where John uses the term world to talk about uh, humanity, it's not always in a positive light. Jesus would even say, if they hate you, remember, the world hated me first. And so for, for John to say, for God so loved the world, it means even the enemies of God, even those who don't believe, even those who have rejected God, or um, God loves them. Other places it would say that um, in the Gospel of John that Jesus was the Lamb uh, of God who takes away the sin of the world and that the world did not know him. So even though the world was not interested in God, God does not reciprocate. He is interested in your life and he loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave. That is good news. And, you know, as Americans, I've I feel like the idea of that God is love is pretty uh, prevalent. Like that's not a new idea. But when this was written, the Roman gods, they didn't love you. They didn't care about you. Uh, they weren't concerned about you. And even within the Jewish faith, the, the idea that God loved the world, you won't find that in any Jewish writings uh, up through this time. So this idea that God loves the world was unique, is unique. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God gave what was most valuable to him. This wasn't just like a sentimental feel-good type love, but it was a love that cost. It was a love that cost God something. He is the gift. And then Jesus gave his very life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes, whoever, no qualifiers there, whoever believes in him. Red, brown, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. Now, when we hear the believe, like for us, 2,000 years removed, believe has a very, I don't know if I'd say narrow connotation, but it's, it's just a head, like I believe in something head knowledge. Uh, but in scripture, this, it's believe is something deeper. It means to trust, to put your trust in something. Uh, and in believing in Jesus, we move from trusting ourselves uh, to trusting in Jesus. And so when it says, for God so loved the world uh, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes, you could put trust in there, that whoever trusts in him. Um, so I'm going to take it like this, like this chair here. Now I can stand here and I can say, I believe in this chair. Like that's a good chair. And I could talk about this chair all day, uh, but until I'm, I'm sitting in the chair, I'm not trusting the chair. That makes sense. And, and some of us with, uh, with Jesus, we maybe even like to do like a half, a half sit. Like, I'm not quite ready to trust you, Jesus, but I'm going to cut a little stand over here. I'm going to trust you just a little bit. But it's when we, we believe in Jesus, it's more than just a head knowledge. It is putting our complete 
trust in Jesus. And so that's what believing is in Scripture, transferring our trust from our, ourselves, from what, what we can do to save ourselves, to what Jesus has done for us. That is good news. Or it's like coming to a, a bridge, and, and maybe you, you're out on a hike here in the, in the mountains, and you come to a bridge that you have to cross because there's a steep ravine or a drop-off, a valley, and you can talk about that bridge all day long. Like, I believe in that bridge. You can even see other people go across the bridge. But not until you put your weight on the bridge are you trusting the bridge. And when it comes to Jesus, I mean, we can believe that God exists. We can even, you can even believe that he's potentially a, a good God. But God wants us to trust him, to put our trust in him and stop trusting ourselves uh, for our own salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. So God loves, so he gave. We believe, so we receive. So the good news, if I were just to, like, in the simplest terms, and we could talk about this good news and what it means and salvation, but I'd say it's this. God loves. God gave. We believe. We receive. God loves. God gave. We believe. We receive. And in John 3, 16, it says we receive eternal life. And so that's a bit of a difficult concept for us to grasp, and we don't have time to go into it today. Uh, but I remember, anybody remember those Far Side cartoons? I don't know if, if uh, there was like a one, uh, this one picture, and it had a funny saying under it. And so I remember this one where this guy is sitting on a cloud, and he's got some wings on, and he looks bored, and he looks around, and apparently he's in heaven. This is eternal life. And he said, should have brought a magazine. Like, so we have this, this idea of like this disembodied eternal life. And so, but what is eternal life? What does that mean? Well, Jesus answers this for us in the Gospel of John. In John 17, right before Jesus dies, he's praying. And, and this is what he prays. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So there's something about eternal life where it's a relationship with God the Father, and with Jesus Christ forever. It's hard for us to grasp. But to be with our good God in, in a restored, in a renewed creation where there is uh, no injustice and where the lion lays down with the lamb. And, uh, but it's good news. And then in John chapter 1, John writes, To all who did receive him, there's that, that word again, how do we receive him? He goes on, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children. It's another relational word, children of God. So God loves, God gave, we believe, we receive. That is good news. And, and John, he writes verse 16, and it's, it's almost like, oh, they're going to have some questions. They're going to say, well, Matthew, you don't know about my past. Uh, what, about, what about this person over here, or this person over here, or that person I don't like? And, and so he's like, let me make this absolutely clear for you. And John, so in the very next verse, he says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so if you have ever felt condemned by Christians, that's not your fault. That's our fault. If you've ever felt condemned by the church, or if you've ever been condemned by the church, that, that is the wrong message. That is not good news. 
Uh, I mean, John knew Jesus. He ate with him. He watched Jesus. He saw him die on the cross. He saw him after he was resurrected from the dead. And, and he wants us to know that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus didn't come into the world to shake his finger at us and to tell us to straighten up. No, he came to offer us life and forgiveness. And now, Christianity doesn't agree with the optimist thinkers in the world who say we can fix things if we try hard enough. Like that's not what Christianity says. But it also doesn't agree with the pessimist who only see a darkness in the future, a dystopian future. But the message of Christianity is that the world is in rough shape. I'm in rough shape. I can't heal or save myself. I can't save me, but God can save me from myself and from my sins. Now at at Christmas time, we receive presents. We give presents, we receive presents, and sometimes it can be difficult to receive presents, right? Um, especially if it's a large present or let's say on Tuesday, you open up uh, your first present, you unwrap it, and it is a book on dieting. Uh, and you didn't ask for the book, all right? Let's stipulate that, let's not stipulate that. Uh, and then the, the next present that you open, you take off the ribbon, you unwrap it, is a book on overcoming selfishness. Now, if you gladly receive those gifts, you are in, in effect saying, why, thank you, for I am indeed fat and selfish. <laughs> there, there are some gifts that are hard to receive, right? Uh, I, don't, I don't recommend those gifts for anybody. Uh, but Christmas means... Well, the, the gift of Jesus, there's never been a gift offered that makes you swallow your pride to the depths that the gift of Jesus Christ requires us to do so. Even more so than being fat and selfish. Because Christmas means that we are so lost, so unable to save ourselves, that nothing less than the death of the Son of God himself can save us. That means that uh, you are not somebody who can pull yourself together and live a moral and good life. And, and to accept this true Christmas gift, we have to admit that we need a Savior. We have to admit that there is something about us and at our core, something that keeps us separated from God and that we need a Savior. And this is really, to receive this gift, is descending lower than any of us really wants to go. Um, so I brought something here to demonstrate. Huh. Brought my trusted rope today. Uh, now, I'm going to say that this rope represents all of our best efforts to gain eternal life. It represents uh, our own efforts to get back into a relationship with God. And so if I could uh, just have maybe the kids have your attention real quick. You want to see what's about to happen here. It's going to amaze you, all right, uh, with this rope. But if I mean, we try all kinds of things in our, our trust in ourselves. We might say, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust in my prayers to get me to God. Praying's good. Or I'm going to trust uh, in my giving. Like, I'm going to give so much, I'm going to give all my money away. Giving's good. But it's still, still something not quite right. Or I'm going to trust in my church attendance. And that's what I'm going to put my trust in instead of putting my trust on Jesus. And, and God knew. God knew that we were, we were hopeless. And so... What God did for us, he said, you know, you can't come to me, so I'm going to come to you. Amen? I like this. I like this. You guys are welcome to come anytime with a, <gasps> all right. 
Yeah, you can clap. You can clap. That's all right. All right. <laughs> now, because when we trust ourselves, right, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. All right, this is my, my rope. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to better hide this because I see some kids getting into it after service there. That is Luke 2. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So my question for us today is that has there ever been a time in your life when you have exchanged trusting in yourself for trusting in Jesus? As long as you are trusting in you to get in God's good graces, you have no idea where you stand. Like there, there is no list among any religion that tells you if you do these 10 things, then you know for certain that you can be right with God. That list doesn't exist in any, any religion. Jesus wants to take that fear from us. If we put our trust in him, we don't have to fear. We don't have to be insecure. This is good news. Now, you might be here today and, like, and say, you know, I, I don't believe. And I'm, I'm not trying to talk you into anything because no one can talk you into believing. And, like, and I hope our church always has people that are, are questioning their faith, don't have a faith because uh, we, we need you at our table. It helps keep us honest and um, think through some things. And, uh, but if you're not convinced, there's no point in pretending that you believe. I mean, because you can commit to something, but you can't believe something. But this gift that God offered to the world 2,000 years ago, he offers to us today. And you might uh, find yourself six months down the road, six years down the road, 60 years down the road, not believing, but all of a sudden you're beginning to doubt your disbelief. And at that time, remember John 3.16, that this gift is still available for you. That for whoever and whenever you believe, you will receive eternal life and not perish. That is good news, that God loves you. He gave his son for you. And when we believe in him, we receive the gift of eternal life in a relationship with him. And what could be better news than that? What could be better news than that? I'm going to ask everybody just for a moment to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to ask you today, have you ever put your trust in Jesus? Have you ever said, I need a Savior, Jesus? I believe that you died for me. I believe you rose again for me in my sins. there might be some people here today that need to put their trust in Jesus. And I'm not going to ask you to stand or to, to come forward, but if today you say, Matthew, I want to stop trusting in myself. I want to start trusting Jesus for my salvation. Would you just lift up your hand so I can see? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? I thank you for this good news and for those who are here today that have said they want to put their trust in you. And I pray even now, God, just as they um, pray to you at their seed and ask you to come into their life, that they believe.
believe in you. I thank you that we are made new, that we are forgiven, that we are brought into the family of God without requirement because you have met all of the requirements. So may we trust you, Jesus, and know this good, this good news. Amen.